We're going to talk about the Lamb and the scroll tonight and how the Lamb is worthy. Uh, kind of getting us started uh, as we begin. I'm going to read the whole chapter in just a little bit here. But John basically uh, continuing what he saw from chapter 4, you know, things that were coming. And he saw a scroll in the right hand of God, of him who sat in the throne. And then a mighty angel spoke in a loud voice, voice worthy, you know, who is worthy to break the seals. And, and no one on earth and, and in heaven or under the earth could do that. And John began to weep and weep. It's like, you know, I, I see what's going to be happening. And, and, and there's no one to open the seal. There's no one to carry it out. And, and, and then uh, uh, a lamb appeared, and he alone was worthy to uh, break the seven seals, to open the scroll, to carry out God's plan. And so one of the things I was telling, I was telling Jill today over lunch, and then I told Pam when she got here, one of the things, I've read this, read this, read this for years and years. I've studied it. I've, I've sat under uh, Mom's teaching a few times, and one of the things that hit me is, is like you'll read something, but it never hits home before, until you read it again kind of thing. And I never have uh, pictured uh, the lamb with seven eyes and seven horns. It's always been there. I don't know how I missed it, but it's been there. And so, Lauren, if you could uh, pull up that PowerPoint on the desktop and just kind of show a couple of pictures. The lamb was standing. The one picture shows him laying down. But then the second one is the one I put on, on Jill's Facebook page uh, as you get there. And so you can kind of see the lamb with seven eyes, seven horns. We'll talk about seven tonight. The next picture, more realistic. And then we have, um, you can see the lamb there as well. And uh, uh, seven eyes, seven horns. And uh, we have Jesus, you know, a picture, depiction of Jesus in the scroll. And uh, then the lion, the tribe of Judah back behind there. And so kind of gives you uh, a visual. And by the way, I, I said last week, if you go up and or if you go online on the internet and type in Revelation chapter 4, then look at images, you'll see all kinds of kind of neat pictures, descriptions or whatever. Uh, and, and this was chapter 5 as well. And I've seen the second one quite often on, online as well. But kind of setting the setting here, uh, looking at this, um, let's talk a little bit. We haven't talked a lot about this, maybe earlier on, but in... Uh, the questions are on your, on your paper there. Why is the Holy Spirit described as seven spirits? How many have ever thought about that? Uh, I had someone approach me last week afterwards. We talked about this as well. And I gave him what I'm going to share with you as well. And so if one person is asking, no doubt more are asking. Uh, in Revelation 4, 5, John saw the Holy Spirit in front of God's throne. He described the Spirit as seven burning lamps. And then we have in Zechariah chapter 4, 2, 6, and 10, one lamp with seven lights represented the Holy Spirit. Uh, just a couple of verses here. Uh, Isaiah 11, verse 2. If you want to just write that verse down, I'm going to read it to you. But it, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so in Isaiah 11:2 is a sevenfold spirit uh, of the Lord. And uh, so we have number one, the spirit of the Lord, number two, of wisdom, number three, understanding, four, of counsel, five, might, six, spirit of knowledge, and then seven, spirit of the Lord. Um, you'll recall in chapter one, greeting to the seven churches that John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, he says, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and is to come, and from the seven spirits 
and the seven spirits before his throne. And then last week, Revelation 4, 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And then tonight's, tonight's lesson in, in chapter 5, verse 6, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, uh, so, so basically, why is the Holy Spirit described as seven spirits? And the second question that goes along that is, whom do the seven eyes of the Lamb and the seven spirits of God represent, as well as the seven horns? So wh- wh- give, me, give me your feedback a little bit. Seven spirits, what does it mean? Okay, speaking of the fullness of Christ, seven, we talked about way earlier on, it means completeness or fullness. All right, what else? Just reading through a little bit of this, um, um, the Isaiah passage, you know, prophesied that this spirit would anoint Jesus. Um, And so why seven, again, the number seven occurs a lot in Revelation to show fullness, to, to show completeness. Uh, Jesus appears as a lamb with seven horns. The horns are symbols of power and authority. Uh, Seven horns show that his power is complete. He has all power, all authority. All right. We know that from other uh, supporting scriptures. Likewise, the sevenfold description of the Holy Spirit shows his completeness. God only has one church, but seven local churches represent this one complete church in Revelation 2 and 3. Likewise, there is only one Holy Spirit, but in Revelation, he is represented by seven spirits, seven lamps, and seven eyes. And so, once again, John uses over and over again the number seven for completeness, uh, and then the horns being that of a power and authority. Now, in Revelation 5, 6, the sevenfold spirit is described, as I said, as seven eyes of the Lamb, uh, and John tells us the sevenfold spirit is sent out into all the earth. Now, by linking the spirit with the lamb, John is showing the Lord's concern for all people of all time. Uh, we do know as we move through this, the Holy Spirit's going to be busy in the last days, all right, uh, in, in the end of, end of times as well. And so basically, uh, recall as well the important position of Revelation 4 and 5. This is pretty interesting. Um, Revelation 4 and 5 are between the seven messages, Revelation 2 and 3, that God, uh, that God the Son uh, gave to those churches. And so we have uh, Revelation 4 and 5 between the seven message, messages. And then what we'll start next week is in chapter 6, be, the beginning of the seven seals. So we have Revelation 2 and 3, seven churches. Revelation 4, 5, 7, 7, 7, but then Revelation 6, the seven seals. Uh, So basically with that, also keep in mind that Revelation 4 focuses on God the Father. Revelation 5 focuses on God the Son. Uh, And also throughout Revelation, we have the depiction of Jesus Christ being the Lamb that we're going to talk about. 
Uh, I did not know this other than I've, I've read this before, but I preached on the precious blood of Jesus last Sunday doing part two this Sunday. We're going to hear more about it tonight because this is kind of a repeat of last Sunday and kind of points toward where we're going this Sunday. So I guess repetition is good and we need to hear over and over again about our precious lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Uh, and so we're going to begin with that, talking about the lamb. But let me go ahead just, uh, tonight and look at uh, chapter 5. I'm going to read the, its entirety from the New International Version. And it's, and it's headed out, the title is A Scroll in the Lamb. Chapter 5, verse 1, then through verse 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And John says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of, Jude, of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And it had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. This is in reference to God. Also, it is uh, of, of divine origin as well. God is the giver of all things. Uh, um, again, I'm, re I'm reading this. I'm thinking, you know, we watched a video a few weeks ago uh, from a Thursday night program. Joel, oh, uh, come on, Brian. Come on, Joel who? Rosenberg, Rosenberg yes. And, uh, and how many people in America believe that, you know, we're living the last days and the, the percentile is pretty high? And I thought, do we really believe that, though? I mean, do, do Amer do, does, does the church really believe this stuff? Because if it did, I think we'd be living a little differently, you know, just always ready and prepared, and, and there wouldn't be the empty pews tonight. Hello? You know, I get on that quite a bit, but, and I'll get on it more Sunday, <laughs> all right? But, uh, but just seeing the, the, the picture here and the holiness of God and God himself on the throne. Um, and, and anyway, so um, basically it was in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. And the idea there is not only is he worthy to take it and open it, but to carry it out. He, he will be the one that makes sure it all is carried out. Uh, because you were slain. <coughs> you were slain. My voice here. Because you were slain. <coughs> And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, 
numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, myriads of myriads. A myriad is 10,000, take 10,000 times 10,000, and that's 100 million. So really it's a, a number that no person can number. It's it, the, the amount of angels. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive seven things, power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Just a couple of things here. And I have one, one of my study things I go through every time I read this or study is that of the complete biblical library. Uh, if you're familiar with that commentary set, it was put out by Assemblies of God theologians and uh, some of my teachers back when I was in college as well. But uh, uh, I like that. That's my go-to because uh, I can trust it. All right. Uh, but basically everything in this scene is emphasizing the importance and significance of this, of this roll or book, the scroll. Um, Basically, uh, commentators have said that this, you know, that it, this is God's book, if you will, or God's plan for the future. It's being unveiled, and, and it would indicate, you know, God, the plan of God yet unrevealed. And basically, then to break the seals and open the scroll would mean to reveal and carry out God's plan. Uh, ancient wills under Roman law were sealed with seven seals, uh, and then you go on to verse two. Uh, the a mighty powerful angel many believe uh, God to be God's revelation angel that of Gabriel it's not said uh, the name Gabriel means man of God and uh, strength of God or mighty one of God um, you'll recall in Daniel 12 4 that uh, the angel Gabriel was the one who ordered Daniel to close and seal this book we're going to talk about Daniel next week a little bit and talk about the seven, 70 weeks right before we get into the chapter 6 and talk about that a little bit but the angel in the manner of a herald asked, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals? And, and then after that, chapter, verse 3, uh, no one was found worthy. That means no created being is worthy to claim the kingdom or take care of the future of the world. I know that many have tried over the years and are still trying right now to solve the world's problems, but the world's problems won't be solved by mankind. There is only one, and his name is Jesus, the Lamb of God. And all right, more about that in a bit. And when John began to weep and couldn't stop, he, he you know, he's like, there's so many good things going on here and the end of times and what's happening, and, and can't anyone, you know, be worthy to, to do this? Um, and then uh, basically he felt disappointment thinking that the revelation could not be given after all. And this really sets, I think, this book, this scroll, this roll, apart from other books of prophecy. Uh, even in the Old Testament, God made us practice to reveal his will and plan to the prophets. But now it's like, no, no one is worthy for that. Only, only Jesus can. And then came, comes the, the verbiage in verse 5, you know, the line of the tribe of Judah. And then uh, the shoot out of the root of David. The Davidic dynasty would always continue, basically. And then when John looked, he saw, a, he saw not a lion, but a lamb still bearing the marks of having been slain. It was as God's lamb that Christ conquered. 
basically terrible judgments were going to were going to be coming on the earth, and we'll deal with that as we begin with the seals in chapter six. Um, I'm looking for one thing here: the seven horns, seven, seven eyes, sevenfold spirit. Uh, basically, talked about that a little bit already. I was going to get something here for Pastor Jim if I can find it. All right, um, here it is. Okay. And instead of presenting their crowns before him, the 24 elders had harps. Uh, they came before the Lamb, uh, worshiping him, presenting him to go, the golden bowls of, of incense and so. And then, um, just interesting, in the Greek language here, uh, the harps indicate that, the actual, that they were actually Greek-type lyres, not the Egyptian or even the Davidic harps. The, the Greek word, here it is for you, Pastor Jim, is K-I-T-H-A-R-A-S, it's the root word of the word guitar. I didn't know that, and I, I sent this to Cindy today, too, and she liked it. Um, so no doubt the sound was more like a guitar versus the, the harps that you would see maybe of, of David or in Egypt or whatever. But I thought, okay, Pastor Jim, you're right on cue here. Just keep on playing that, you know. Um, uh, but praising God, and it went on and on and on. Um, but the Bible could not be more precise or inclusive here even talking about, you know, from every tribe, tongue, and, 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 and nation and so. Um, basically, the blood of Jesus paid the price for the redemption of every human being, of every race, and every color. Uh, and so it was, it was uh, uh, for all, for, for whosoever. Then the word myriad, a myriad is 10,000. It was the largest number used in the ancient Greek language. And also interesting, the angels did not sing the song of redemption sung by the 24 elders in verse 9 and 10. They cannot sing the song of redemption, uh, but they can join in giving praise to the Lamb who still bears the marks of having been slain and declaring that he is worthy. So that's kind of just some, some points being made there. Um, but looking at your outline, let's tonight talk about six, first of all, six truths about the Lamb in the Old Testament, and then nine truths about Jesus, the Lamb of God. So six truths about the Lamb in the Old Testament. First of all, number one, God has always required sinners to approach Him through a blood sacrifice. Why? Why is blood needed? Why has God always required a blood sacrifice? Going back to the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve sinned, God brought them clothes made of animal skins. Well, an animal had to die. What is God showing us? Why is blood necessary? Without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. What else? There's life in the blood. Yes. Basically, um, death... And blood is necessary to cover, just as God provided the skins of the animals. And so death was necessary to cover, the, cover Adam and Eve. And uh, basically, why is blood needed to approach God? Because God is just. He requires that a penalty be paid for sins, and all humans have sinned. We've all sinned, Romans 3.23. Therefore, a penalty must be paid. In the past, God allowed animal sacrifices. The blood of an animal showed a penalty of death was paid for sin. The animal was simply a substitute. It died in the place of the human. 
All right, and so basically because God is just, he will not ignore our sins and he will not forgive sins without blood. We talked about that last Sunday morning a little bit as well. But basically blood shows that a price was paid for sin. And so blood is necessary. Uh, secondly, Abraham trusted God to provide a lamb for him. We talked about that Sunday as well. The Lord told Abram to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah, Genesis 22, 1 and 2. And then Isaac was his only son, you recall. As someone once said, well, he was like a teenager, so it must have not been much of a sacrifice to, to offer him up to God, just a joke teenagers but uh, anyway uh, but but basically um, he says hey the fire and the wood are here Isaac said but where's the lamb for the burnt offering and what got what did Abraham Abraham say you know God himself will provide the lamb uh, I have two videos back there on on hold if we have time but one of them is by Ray Boltz uh, and very anointed before he uh, turned back into sin if you knew his, know his life but watch the lamb. I used to sing that back when I had a voice, and it's a video depicting, you know, a dad in, in Jewish times and taking his two sons and keeping your eyes on Jesus who died for them. The other one is uh, the Revelation song, and Carrie Joby's. I have that one from Carrie Joby, and it's it's basically Revelation four and five. Uh, if I don't have time to watch those tonight, probably won't. But uh, uh, look those up and watch those. Both are like seven, eight minutes long, so a little bit long on that one. But God himself provided. Uh, he showed Abraham a, a male a sheep, a ram, caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham then sacrificed on Mount Moriah. And so the Bible says in Genesis twenty-two fourteen. so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. One of the things that comes out of this then is the name for God called Jehovah Jireh. Now, if you were saved back in the 70s, you probably sang that song, kind of a, I call it a little Jewish kind of fun little song, but uh, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, you know, his grace is sufficient for me. And, but that's where this all comes from is Genesis 22. Uh, also, by, by many commentators believe that Mount Moriah is the same mountain or area that Jesus died on called Mount Calvary, Golgotha. Uh, and so basically, uh, there's that tie-in as well. And so number two, Abraham trusted God to provide a lamb for him. And then number three, God delivered Israel from Egypt through the Passover lamb. Uh, we talked about this last Sunday, opened up with it and closed with it as well. But each household in Israel sacrificed a lamb. The lamb was to be a male, one year old, without defect. Each family then would take the blood of that animal and, and apply it to the door frame of their home. When the angel of death saw the blood, he passed over that house. Therefore, the lamb was called the Passover lamb. Once again, Exodus chapter 12, we talked about that last Sunday. The lamb was simply a substitute for a human. It died in the place of a person. Uh, the Egyptian families served idols. They didn't understand the justice of God. They did not kill a lamb. Uh, so where the lamb was not a substitute, death came to that person or that household. Uh, if the death angel did not see the blood of the lamb, he killed the person inside the house, which emphasizes the great truth. And I love this. The justice of God does not change because people do not know it or believe it. Let me say that again. The justice of God does not change because people do not know it or believe it. 
if God does see the blood, he does, if God does, excuse me, if God does not see the blood, he does not pass over sin. So blood is necessary, blood must be applied. And then four, number four, the tabernacle became the center for animal sacrifice. Uh, once again, animal sacrifices were still necessary after the exodus from Egypt. How could a holy God have fellowship with sinful humans? How could unholy people approach a holy God? Well, the answer is the same as it always has been. Humans could only approach God through a blood sacrifice. Well, you also recall that the Lord gave Moses plans for the tabernacle and the priests for 40 years in the wilderness. They killed animals near this big tent. It took one complete tribe, the Levites, to offer the sacrifices. They offered lots and lots of animals, including cattle, goats, and sheep. Without these animal sacrifices, fellowship with God was impossible. Number five, the temple replaced the tabernacle as the center for sacrifices. Now, the Israelites finally passed into or from the wilderness into the land of Canaan, and the temple replaced the, the, sacrifice, uh, the tab tabernacle, but the blood sacrifices did not change. You recall that Solomon built the temple on, on, or in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, 2 Chronicles 3.1, once again the same mountain where, where God provided the, the ram, the lamb for Abraham, but the, the blood sacrifices continued on through the blood of lambs. And so that, that was also happening. And then number six, Isaiah prophesied uh, about a new human lamb whom God would sacrifice for us. Now, we have seen that, that sinners approach God through animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. You know, no one could approach God except through blood, not without blood, the writer of Hebrews tells us. But some of the prophets spoke of a better day ahead. For example, Jeremiah told of a, of a new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I, Jeremiah writes, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write, on, write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And that's Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 through 34. And so Jeremiah foretold of a new covenant he did not, though, explain how God would create a new covenant, nor did he explain how sinners would get rid of their sin. And so basically, even though he prophesied that, uh, there were still some details left out. But then we come to Isaiah. Isaiah was much more specific. Isaiah was the one who said this in Isaiah 53, 6 and 7. He said, and he wrote about the lamb that would die for all of God's sheep. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, he did not open 
his mouth. I mean, I have it before you, but read the entire chapter of Isaiah 53. Read it in context and, and, thank, and thank God for what God has done and for the sacrifice that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, we're going we're gonna to see more about what the, what the New Testament then says about the Lamb just coming up here. But, but think about the prophecies of old and how God fulfilled those things through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we have six truths about the Lamb in the Old Testament. We covered some of this, as I said, last Sunday. We'll cover some more this Sunday as well, uh, talking about the precious blood of Christ. But let's move on and look at point B, nine truths about Jesus, the Lamb of God. Nine truths about Jesus, the Lamb of God. Uh, because Revelation emphasizes that He is the Lamb. And so basically, number one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became a human lamb. Now, here's the problem. Uh, the blood of animals could never take away sins, only cover them, only temporary. Hebrews 10.4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Impossible. Now, in some cultures, a groom pays several animals to the father of the bride. Is called the bride price. But the groom is not really buying the bride. He is only saying thank you for, to the father for the bride. No, a number, no number of animals is equal to the value of one human. Humans are much more valuable than animals. And so animals can never take away the guilt of humans. So here's the solution. The Son of God became a human lamb to die for our sins. You recall, once again, I referred to it last Sunday, and I'll refer to it this Sunday again. But when John uh, saw Jesus, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And so basically, Jesus Christ being that Lamb. Uh, but bottom line is this. All have sinned, and all need a Savior. All have sinned, and all need a Savior. Uh, there's a great difference between Jesus and all other religious leaders. Only Jesus claimed that he came to be a sacrifice for the sins of others. Only Jesus lived to die for our sins. We know John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. The very next verse in verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. To do what? To save the world through Him. He Himself, 1 Peter 2.24 says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by His wounds you have been healed. Once again, in reference then to Isaiah chapter 53. And so we even have the angel uh, telling Joseph to, to name Mary's son Jesus, uh, Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. Uh, Christianity is the only, I don't call it a religion, it's a relationship, but it's the only uh, uh, religion in the world today that deals then with the sin problem. Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It is clear then that only that, that one sinless man could take the place of one guilty man. As in the natural, 
but how could one man die for millions of others? Uh, uh, his life was sacrificed because he, as, as Mary Lou said, he knew no sin. You know, he became sin for us. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, how many heard of him? Great preacher of yesteryear. He was one of England's greatest preachers. One day he was in his church preparing for the next day, and, and from the pulpit he spoke his text several times, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, there was a repairman in the church, and he had been hired to fix a broken pew. And as Spurgeon quoted uh, John chapter 129, the power of God came on the repairman, and the text drew him to Jesus. The power of the text alone, the power of the word alone, no sermon preached, all right, led him to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Jesus Christ met the need, or all the needs or all the conditions of God for mankind because he was sinless. He was the perfect lamb, the lamb without blemish or defect, sinless and perfect before God. Number one, the Son of God became a human lamb. Number two, Jesus was a perfect lamb without sin or default. I want to point out again, Jesus did not die for his own sins because he had none. All right, he was not guilty. First Peter chapter 2.22, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And then we also have 1 Peter 1.19, he was a lamb without blemish or defect. And so even, even Pilate, the Roman, the Roman judge, found no fault in Christ. And so if a person is, is guilty of sin, he cannot die for the sins of another. Only an innocent person can be a substitute for a guilty person. Jesus had no sins of his own. Therefore, he was able to die for our sins and in our place. And God accepted that. And this is all, I know this is all elementary kind of stuff, but it's, it's good to, to repeat it once in a while and know it. Number two or number three, Jesus, like a lamb, was meek, submissive, and silent. Acts 8.32, the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth, once again, from Isaiah chapter 53. And then 1 Peter 2.23 when they hurled their insults at him, at Christ, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, one of the elders, you recall, in our passage here in Revelation 5, 5 that we read, called Jesus the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Truly, he had the strength of a lion. He had the courage of a lion. But the hero of heaven won his battles on earth, not as a lion, but as a lamb, a submissive lamb. He defeated Satan in the wilderness, but he relied on the word, not his own strength. He conquered sin, Satan, and death. How did he win these battles? He overcame them through meekness, patience, and submission to God. What a wonder. The Savior will never force himself on someone's life. He humbly stands at the door and knocks. And still today, he offers himself to all as the lamb who died for our sins. Now, think about it this way. On one hand, the Bible says we are more than conquerors. Praise God for that. We're more than conquerors. 
And yet, on the other hand, we are considered, as the Bible says, as sheep to be slaughtered. You know, and we are told in Luke 12, 32, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And so basically following the example of our Lord and Savior. Number three, he was meek, submissive, and silent. Number four, Jesus died as our Passover lamb. In other words, he was our substitute. Uh, God is willing to accept the death of Christ instead of requiring it of each sinner. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. And then it says this, latter part of verse 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. See, he died on the exact day of the year that Jews kill the Passover lamb. Therefore, when we trust in his death, his burial, his resurrection, uh, God, God passes over us. God saves us. God redeems us from our sins. He was our Passover lamb, according to the Bible. Number five, before creation, God planned the death of the lamb. He did uh, the plan of salvation. Keep this in mind. The plan of salvation was not a reaction to Adam's sin. God knew Adam and Eve would sin before he created them. He did not cause them to sin, but he knew they would fall. Have you ever wondered what God sees in us that was worth Christ dying for? I wonder about that a lot. I mean, before God created us, God knew the price of fellowship with us. And yet God loves us so much that he was willing to die for us. You know, what does God see in humans that is worth dying for? Uh, to me, it's, it's one of those thoughts that's so wonderful that we'll probably never understand the full reality of that. Uh, but, but, but understand that salvation was not a reaction. It was a decision before creation. And we have Revelation 13, 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world, from the very foundation of the world. And so before creation, God's plan was set in order. Uh, God who knows all things. Have you ever wondered what the world would be like if Adam and Eve didn't succumb to sin. I mean, what kind of a world would that be today? You know, um, Number six, God redeemed us through the blood of the Lamb. The word redeem means to buy, to purchase. Uh, we, we use money today to buy something. And, uh, you know, we, we use it as a, as a means to, to, to purchase or to get something. Well, God used the blood of his son to buy or to redeem mankind. Um, the great wonder is that God still loves us as sinners. Romans 5, 7, and 8. Verily, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone may possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
while we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies, while we hated him, all right, while we insulted him, you know, while we were still sinners, God, God's, God loved us so much that, that Christ died for us. Uh, Jesus died to redeem us, to purchase us, if you will, uh, off of Satan's auction block. He bought us with blood, not money. Uh, Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And then 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, I'll also be repeating this this Sunday, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And then Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, to whom was the blood paid? It was paid to, to God. It was paid to God to satisfy God's demands for justice, going back to Isaiah 53. Through the blood of Christ, God made a way to bring us back to Him. Sin separate us from God. The justice of God demanded that someone pay the penalty for these sins. Well, Jesus paid the penalty for the sins of mankind, for your sins, for my sins, with his blood. He bought us by paying an incredible great price. I like this illustration. A father and a son made a small boat together. And it took them a lot of time to make it. And finally the boat was ready to use. And this was a day for the, for the dad and the son of great joy. And they took it down to a small river and they tied a rope to it. The boat, the boat sailed well until the string caught a rock. And as they tried to pull it loose, the string broke, the rope broke. The wind and water carried the boat away beyond their sight. They lost sight of it. Several times they searched up and down this, this river and they were looking for the lost boat, but each search ended in sadness. Weeks and weeks passed, months and months passed. Then one day the boy saw the boat that he and his dad made in a store for sale. And the boy went in and he said, well, that's my boat, he told the owner of the store. And the owner says, well, if you want it, you need to buy it back. And the boy went and told his dad, and the father agreed to pay for the boat they had made, and together they paid the owner of the store. Then the boy held the boat upwards toward the sky and says, now, he said, you are twice mine. You are twice mine. Once because I made you, and once because I bought you. In a similar manner, we belong to God two times. First, because he created us, but second, because he bought us with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. We are twice his in that sense. Number six. Number seven, we wash our sins in the blood of the Lamb.
A preacher spoke on 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. A critic questioned this preacher. How can blood cleanse sin? The preacher was quiet for a moment. Then he asked the critic, How can water quench thirst? I don't know, the critic said, but I know that it does. Neither do I know how the blood of Jesus cleanses sin, replied the preacher, but I know it does. All right. See, John emphasized that the blood of Jesus washes away our sins. In Revelation 7, 14, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, their, their illustration is that uh, teachers from almost every religion once came together for a meeting. And a Christian leader named Joseph stood up. He introduced a woman who was deeply troubled. She had committed the sin of murder and felt like the blood was on her hands of the person she killed. This woman had tried many ways to free herself of the guilt. Still, she felt guilty and unforgiven. Nothing she tried had helped. Well, Joseph asked the religious teachers at this meeting if they knew any way to help her, and all of them were silent. Then Joseph looked up to heaven, and he cried out, John, can you tell this woman how to get rid of her terrible sin? And he waited as if he was listening for reply. And suddenly Joseph said, listen, John speaks. And he quoted 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Christianity offers what no other religion offers. Only, only the blood of Jesus can wash us from our sins. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from our sins. That's one of the points I'm making this Sunday as well. So you're getting a little foretaste of where we're going in part two. Uh, number eight. We overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Another point I'm making Sunday. Until now, we have been talking about our relationship with God, how sin separates us from God, the blood of the Lamb redeeming us, purchasing us. It washes away our sin. Because of Christ's blood, God welcomes us to him. But now we turn from God towards Satan. And it says in Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him, they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Three qualifiers there. But the first one is by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome Satan by the blood. Satan, the blood of Jesus, is against you. Number nine, the book of life, the book of life belongs to the Lamb. When anyone accepts Jesus Christ as Savior, the Lord writes that person's name in his book, Revelation 13, verse 8. It's fitting that the book of life should belong to the Lamb because he is the one who died for us. He is the one who has saved us. He is the one who will judge the dead. Now, guess what? Jesus doesn't need a book to remember the names that are written in that book. 
But do you ever wonder if he takes out that book once in a while and just pages through it? Oh, yeah. There's Jan's name. There's Jim's name. There's, there's Pam's name. You know, there's, there's Hope's name. There's Bill's name. I, I think it gives him great delight to see names in that book, even though he knows those who are his. Now, I also believe that it gives the Lord great sorrow to blot out the name of those who then will deny him. All right. Perhaps the Lord keeps our name in a book because it gives him great joy to think of those who loves him. But, and I was thinking about this today. It's like, think of the heartache yet in the heart of God, in the heart of Christ, because he died for the sins of the world of those day after day who continue to reject him, who continue to live lives their own way and not submit or surrender to him. How it must break God's heart. When, when everything that has happened last night on the strip in Vegas, all the sins that were committed, think how it breaks the heart of God. The lostness of mankind, that needs to grip our hearts too so we can be about his business as a kingdom of priests uh, serving the living God. And, and so we have number nine, the book of life belongs to the Lamb. The last part, if you want to turn your outline over, and I thought this was easier last week. I gave you a bunch of charts, and I discovered that that's just too much to go over. Let's just print it out for you. And this is from my, my material here. But the relationship between God and the Lamb. You see, all that belongs to the Father belongs to the Lamb. John 16, 15. If you, must, if, you, if you must die for the Lamb, it will strengthen you to realize that He is equal to the Father. I mean, John makes it clear that the Father and the Lamb are different persons, and yet he shows that they have the same divine nature. Both the Father and the Lamb are God. And that's why I want to point out the deity of Christ here as well. And if you look at that chart, you can see then the relationship between uh, uh, both the Father and the Lamb, how the, there's the same verses and given, given to them as well. And you can go through and look at that on your own. But one thing is clear from the book of Revelation. The Lamb is worthy of any honor that God deserves. Truly, the Father and the Lamb are divine. They are one in purpose. They are one in character. They are one in nature. Jesus is not the Father, and the Father is not Jesus, but Jesus and the Father are one. All that belongs to the Father belongs to the Lamb. Interesting here, Jesus is called the Lamb 28 times in Revelation. 28 times. More than 100 million angels in heaven sing praises to Jesus. The 24 elders and the four living creatures join with them in song. Imagine the sound in heaven of this huge heavenly choir as they sing. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Revelation 5 verse 12. Now, I'll close with this thought. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're bored here in worshiping God, you're going to feel out of place in heaven. If you're bored here 
It's like, well, I wish Pastor Jim would hurry up and get that done so we can get to the Word. Guess what? God doesn't need the Word. He wrote it. But He does deserve all praise and honor and glory. The word blessing is praise. I mean, God deserves all that. Chapter 4. The Lamb deserves all that. Chapter 5. And it's going to be wonderful. And I can't wait. I can't wait to join the heavenly hosts. Myriads of myriads. 10,000 times 10,000. A number that no person can number. And heaven is going to be wonderful. I, I, I see, as I saw that the picture of, of the lamb, the horns, the eyes, and I'm going, that kind of looks weird, you know, and there's going to be some other things introduced as we go through, as we go through Revelation, as we go through some of the, the tribulation and everything else, but, but, but also I remind us we're going to have new bodies. And so God's preparing us even now for the then and there. Amen? So I'm just simply saying, uh, don't get bored with worship. Don't get bored worshiping God. Enter in. Worship. I mean, the first song, well, Pastor Jim is just warming us up. No. Come. Ready. Boom. First note. You know what I'm saying? All right. Any questions? Comments? It was a for, it was foreshadowing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything in the old was a type foreshadowing the new. Even the tabernacle, I mean, everything. And, and Hebrews, we went through Hebrews like a year and a half, two years ago, and Hebrews dealt with that extensively as well. But yes. Right. Yeah. Just a covering. Repeat it over and over again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What was the discussion between Abraham and Isaac down the mountain? Yeah. yeah. I think you could say something like, "Don't tell your mother." <laughs> <laughs> don't don't yeah don't tell your mom what happened here. I often, with Abraham, of, of just that, that obedience and that trust, you know, could you do what he was about to do, you know? And basically, I think Abraham had to come to a point, oh, God, if you take my child, and here's all the promises, if you take my child, then you'll provide another one, you know, whatever. I mean, but we have to, we have to place all of our kids on the altar that way, so to speak, as well. It's like we loan them back. When we dedicate them, we loan them back to their parents. But it's like, God, my child is yours. We had lunch. I had a, we had to leave because we had a luncheon on Sunday. We took out Stephen Gwen Tweet, who filled in for me in October. So we planned this lunch like for two months, and so we couldn't stay for the, the chili feed. And, and one of the things that Gwen were asking how Adam and Melissa were doing, and, and, and they were here last March. But one of the things that we, uh, are, they said is, like Gwen says, even though he was my adult boy, I still had to give them back to God. God, he's yours. You know, and so your kids, your grandkids, you know, they're yours, but they're God's. All right? Uh, and so uh, there, there's that reality as well. All right? Anyone else?
It's 717. I've uh, time to, to close this down. Uh, if you want to go home, check out Watch the Lamb, Ray Bolts, that video. And then also uh, have the Revelation song. Carrie Job does a great job. Is that Job? Is it Job? How, what's her last name? Job? All right. It's like the book of Job. The book of Jobs. No. Have a great evening this Sunday, part two. The blessings, the, the benefits of the blood of Jesus. So it all ties together. So from last Sunday to tonight to next, next Sunday, it's all one package. Did not know that initially, but it worked out real good. God bless you all. And harps, guitars. <laughs>